and welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we're going to be covering the Fancy Farm speeches other than the governor's speeches. We're going to go through just a few of the other speakers they had uh, and what they had to say. We're not going to cover every single speaker. Frankly, we just don't have time, and honestly, a lot of the speeches weren't that noteworthy outside of people introducing themselves. But we are going to talk about a few speeches that are a little bit interesting and a few things uh, that I thought was important for us to point out. And for the, the, the big story of Fancy Farm over the weekend, outside of obviously the governor's meeting, was Mitch McConnell. And we're going to be taking a look at what he had to say and what the crowd's response to him is. We're also going to be looking at Comer. Uh, he had a few words, Congressman Comer. Um, obviously Lieutenant governors came together and then we're going to be talking about, uh, some of the other down ticket speeches. And of course the Democrats without fail brought us, uh, one of their candidates that just doesn't understand what fancy farm is every year. One of the Democrats brings a, a, a candidate that is just extremely unhappy, uh, with everything and everybody and has no idea what fancy farm is. And so that's what, um, We'll kind of end on that. But before we get into that, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Um, you know, the that really helps. Comments do, likes do, shares do. If you're listening to this on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and you want to be able to take it on the go easier, uh, you can always check out the podcast-only version on Spotify and Apple, iHeart, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you're having trouble finding us, just let us know. And as always, if you want to give any feedback to the show uh, or you have any points or stories or tips, please check out uh, the website, theandrewshow.com. You can fill out that contact form. You can also email to info at theandrewshow.com. But without further ado, let's dig into it. So Mitch McConnell showed up and... It, this was a little bit of a bigger story because obviously there's been a lot of questions about his health. Recently, we've seen that his health has not been extremely good. And there's been a lot of questions about whether or not he should remain in office. So it was almost uh, uh, something where Mitch McConnell had to show up to show he was good and healthy. Now, did he look super healthy to me? Obviously not. He looked okay for a man that's as old as he is, obviously. Um, but not everybody was happy to see him, which is interesting because at the fancy farm picnic, that is where you're going to have your most amount of party loyalists, people who, um, you know, their team R all the way or team D all the way. And if you've got an R next to your name, you can do no wrong. And you know, the types, uh, that I'm talking about. If you spend any time at all around the, um, Republican party, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that there are those types. And those are the people who typically go to fancy farm, which is why it's rather shocking to hear uh, how Mitch McConnell first was greeted. People are talking about him being booed and told to retire. And, and a lot of that they could blame on Democrats out there. And that's a story a lot of people are pushing. But there's a more important story to McConnell showing up. And let me play the first clip for you here and see if you catch it. 28 Fancy Farm. I want to thank uh, Father Venters and Stephen Elder for finding a way to keep Fancy Farm going, even with pork prices going through the roof. 
thanks to the Kentucky State Police and local law enforcement. What they're saying is, what you're hearing is, lost the Senate. That is the chanting he's hearing, you're hearing in that back room. Lost the Senate. Now, who would be upset at McConnell for losing the Senate? This is the first thing that was chanted at him, by the way. People want to focus on the Democrats yelling retire, but I don't think it was only Democrats, but they want to focus on the Democrats yelling retire. But what nobody's talking about, or I'm not seeing a lot of, is people talking about the fact that the Republican side, there were individuals that you were just hearing chant, lost the Senate, blaming Mitch McConnell for the losses in the Senate. And there's good reason why they're doing that. Mitch McConnell controls the Senate uh, caucus campaign fund that's supposed to help Republicans get elected. He famously did not support a lot of the candidates that he should have. And he also supported some pretty lackluster. And where there was some more competitiveness, he pulled back funding when he should have put it in. And this all stems from the fact that, well, quite frankly, and this is where a lot of the the vitriol towards McConnell comes from now, is that he doesn't want ours to be in control unless he's in control of them. That he has made clear. He, he does not want, quote unquote, bad Republican candidates, whether he believes it's good in the long game or whatever it may be. But for him, if he can't control it, he doesn't want you in there. So he didn't forward a lot of those. And that's what people are blaming McConnell for. But the other thing that I think bears blame for is right before those elections, he did several things, one of which is things like the uh, gun control law, Safer Communities Act, the most comprehensive gun control legislation we've seen in quite some time in years. And that type of behavior really uh, doesn't row up the base. And you couldn't get the base to turn out like they were expecting in the Senate because they looked at what they were doing in the Senate. They looked at the spending bills they're allowing through. Remember the $1.7 trillion spending bill they passed right before the House took over because McConnell didn't trust the House. And they say, the Republicans in the House, and they say, look, we're seeing what you're doing and we're asking ourselves why bother electing Republicans if that's what we're going to get. That is more so the way I think Mitch McConnell's so-called lost the Senate. Now, Republicans disliking McConnell has really flared up over the last uh, several uh, decades, I would say, early on, obviously, when it was more of a threat that a Democrat would win. Uh, that's when it was more so allowed for you to be a more moderate Republican. But the thing is, is and, and this is how politics work, as uh, a place becomes more secure red, and you'll see this with the legislature, priorly called good Republicans are going to be primaried and pushed out because the, the, the legislation needs to shift farther right. And those individuals themselves can't shift farther right with it uh, because they're used to doing it their way, this very moderate way. But you've got these crazy far-left Democrats you're coming head-to-head -head with. Uh, but beyond that, we didn't just have the Republicans yelling at him. Uh, we also had the Democrats and some Republicans uh, chanting um, this. We're up against folks who'd rather let repeat defenders walk free than get tough on crime. I'm glad Governor Bashir finally decided to come to Fancy Farm. It's been the first Saturday in August for 143 years. Outside of the fact that uh, he did get that wrong, it hasn't been the first um, weekend there in August for that long. In fact, I believe that changed um, not hundreds over 100 years ago, but decades ago. But besides that side, you're hearing the chance of retire in the background. Clearly people indicating uh, they want him to retire and step down. 
he is not healthy and he shouldn't be in that long. And I think that's fine to say Biden, McConnell. I mean, take a look at uh, uh, Senator Feinstein. She literally signed over a power of attorney to a family member. She herself doesn't even have control over her own life. She's stated on paper, but yet there she is voting on how she's going to control our lives. Obviously, uh, that's too far. That's taking it too far. But we see that going on across the board in both parties. Um, and that's why I to say is just Democrats shouting retire. I don't think it was accurate. Obviously, that's Republicans too. I think chaining that as well. But as an example of kind of how McConnell's been to where he is and why he still maintains power, listen to what Comer has to say when he first starts out. He he starts out with these two things and take a listen to what he had to say as an example of how McConnell really, how he has controlled this Kentucky politics here. Two important things. First of all, I want to thank Senator Mitch McConnell for the close working relationship that he and I have. We work together on every federal issue affecting West Kentucky from the uranium, the activation project in Paducah, to the farm bill right here in the purchase area. Mitch McConnell always fights for West Kentucky. And second, I want to say this publicly and enthusiastically. I am proud to endorse this entire Republican ticket this November, especially our next governor, Daniel Cameron. So as a perfect example of, of how kind of McConnell still maintains power, people always ask, how does he keep winning? Comer points out a few things to us. First thing he points out is, despite the fact that McConnell has such low approval ratings, it is better for you politically to say you're great friends with him than to say you're not. Why? Well, because McConnell helps give you the wins, brings home the quote-unquote bacon. See, here's the thing about McConnell, and here's the thing about politics in general. If you want to be politically respected, you have to be politically feared. What McConnell does is he brings home the bacon, quote-unquote. That's how he's managed to maintain control. See, all the social issues and the conservative issues that we as voters actually care about don't actually matter. And by that, I mean that we actually care about. That's not what the general populace necessarily cares about. Or per se, that's not what the uh, uh, elites and political elites, especially the people who control a lot of the vote in the primaries where McConnell can reasonably lose if uh, because obviously we're in such a, you know, us versus them, D versus R situation that McConnell losing to a Democrat seems very, very, very unlikely. But putting that to the side, you see Mitch McConnell does do the backroom dealings that he needs to do in order to get the funding done. He brings home the bacon. As long as that bacon, of course, is done to, quote unquote, enrich his, as they say, sometimes enrich his buddies and friends. And what I mean by that is, is bringing home money to fund projects and then making sure those people doing those projects are uh, the campaign donors to Mitch McConnell. Examples like that. Of course, I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't enrich him in the process in that way or at least increase his political power. Of course it does. But it's the reason why people, quote unquote, vote against their own interests. They vote for an overreaching government that takes away their rights and they vote for people that aren't going to fight back against it. People like Mitch McConnell because they like being taken care of to a degree. 
They don't mind you taking away their rights as long as you're building them their shiniest bridge or a new road or so on and so forth. And they're not looking at what they're giving up in the process. And that's the real fight going on within, I think, the Republican Party that the Mitch McConnell microcosm kind of really draws out. It draws out the fact that it is between people who believe that government uh, is overreaching and says nothing that we're seeing is worth what we get back from government and people who say, look, I actually don't mind the overreach. I don't mind the overtaxation. I don't mind all these things as long as I feel like I'm getting taken care of. And that's who Mitch McConnell takes care of. And when Comer's talking about him caring about Western Kentucky, it's very true. In fact, McConnell won his Senate race, a lot of people believe, and he himself, because he focused on Western Kentucky and building up a strong wall there to fight against the Eastern Kentucky and Central Kentucky Democrats. And so he does care a lot about Western Kentucky. Mitch McConnell has been to Fancy Farm quite a bit. Uh, he loves Fancy Farm because it gives him an opportunity to talk to the people that he feels uh, got him elected. That's why he serves Western Kentucky with so many projects and bills. That's just facts and matter. It's the same reason why there's so many people. You can't be successful in politics in Kentucky over the last several decades. People like Comer without having kissed the ring of McConnell. It's just not possible. McConnell controlled large amounts of the money and the donors. And when it was Democrat dominated, McConnell was the only person coming out with the strategy to get this done. And a lot of people point at McConnell as the reason why the state finally flipped. But the question is, is that just McConnell, obviously McConnell putting some of his people out there like Jonathan Shell, who went around recruiting candidates uh, to run in the state house um, as Republicans in order to flip it. You got to find the candidates and things like that. But does McConnell provide the money? And I understand that. But at the same time, a lot of time you could point it at Trump. Ironically, somebody McConnell hates. See, McConnell for a long time was trying to get Kentucky to be a Republican-dominated state. It seems like Trump was the one who actually got it done, or at least was that missing piece to really finally get it done. You could argue it would have happened anyways. I'm not going to say it's valid or invalid, but I'm just pointing out that the, the winning over the, the state, and, and this is the quote-unquote McConnellites, the centrists, the moderates, these people who think that all we need to worry about is, is paving the roads and, and, oh, we'll just be the adults in the room, and those types of people, the same people that hate Trump, remember, when you look at Kentucky, ask yourselves, would you be able to win without Trump? Look at the governor's race. Look how difficult that is. And ask yourself, would you win without Trump? Would you have been able to flip the state without him? And if your answer is no, you got to ask yourself, what is Trump saying and doing that is actually turning out people to vote for Republicans that people like Mitch McConnell hate so much and that they're not doing? Well, coming up after this, the lieutenant governors talk uh, against each other. And then also as well, so do the AG candidates. We'll be covering that after this short break. All right. So after we heard McConnell, Comer, then we had these lieutenant governor candidates step up. And first up to talk was Robbie Mills. He, I'm going to be honest, it's hard. Fancy Farms hard. Um, he tried really hard. And what I mean by that is, is he tried to be uplifting and loud and great um, and charismatic as best he could. Honestly, during the talk, watching it. Maybe this is something I notice. Other people don't as much. He definitely kept his face in his notes a lot more than everybody else. Now, everybody up there brings notes 
that you'll see them coming up with their binders with their notes and their speeches in it. And a big part of the reason why that is, is because when you're getting chanted at and yelled at and everything else, just relying on you to remember your speech uh, is very difficult to do. And so having that written thing, you can, if you're really feeling overwhelmed, you just look down and you read it, you get through it. That's okay. But he was clearly uh, a little nervous. So he came through and he tried to hit it with this excited voice. He used the same tone throughout. I want to call monotoned. Exactly. I guess it was one single tone, but it wasn't boring tone. It was more of just a uh, kind of excited tone, but he didn't have any intonations. It didn't go really up and down. It just kept the same uh, tone there, which was a little odd. Uh, but let me play you uh, a part of, of his here. Well, it's good to see Governor Bashir here today. It's nice to meet you, Governor, outside of a press conference. You may not know who I am, Governor, but I'm a legislator from the Kentucky General Assembly. You know, that co-equal branch of government. We actually work in the same building with you, but you never stop by to see us. So hopefully one from that clip, you see that I was talking about his intonation and two, what was he hitting upon? He's hitting upon something that I, I hear people saying a lot. I think it's something that legislators say to make themselves feel better. I don't think it resonates with the voters. And that is the legislator saying that Amy Bashir never comes and talks to us, everything. And, and, and the reason why I think that doesn't resonate with the voters is because they're not legislators. They haven't been in the legislature for a long time and have seen how governors are supposed to act with their quote unquote, as Robin Mill said, co-equal branch of government. They haven't experienced that. And so as you hear legislators complaining about Andy Bashir never talking to them, it falls on deaf ears or just really, I think people, and, and the, Robbie wasn't the only one to make that joke. Several of the early legislators made that joke. A lot of people made the joke about how Andy Bashir doesn't ever talk to the legislature, which he doesn't. And it, he is an odd governor for doing that, for never having talked to the legislature or just not doing it very often. But I think the average voter just doesn't really care. I don't think they care. They don't even conceptualize that. They don't understand it. If you want to hit them on something, hit them on taking credit for all the work that the legislature does. Hit them on and saying, Andy Bashir, you talk about saving money, but yet we put out our budget before you. We didn't even care what you had to say. You want to talk about the, the savings account? Well, we put it in there. You want to talk about handing out these checks all around the state? You know, a good zinger would have been something like, if I'm a legislator especially, I would have said, hey, Andy, I'm surprised you're here without a giant check with your name on it. Personally, I find it laughable that you give out these people's dollars and then you sign it as if it's from you. It's their money that was appropriated for that project by us that then is being wrote back to them, the people who gave it. But yet you're doing these ceremonies like you did it. That's the kind of things I would be pointing out and making jokes about. But instead, you hear the legislators lamenting on the fact that, well, we, he just doesn't talk to us enough. But so like I said, I don't think that resonates. I think pointing out that he doesn't talk to us, therefore him claiming uh, our successes as his is improper and incorrect and it's not accurate. That I think hits better. But otherwise, I, I, just, I just don't think it hits well and I think they should change that talking point. I'm sure it's just something they came up with because they're like, yeah, we got him here. But I, I just I don't think it's very good. So Jacqueline Coleman plays her part. Remember, Jacqueline Coleman is coming from education. She was brought in specifically by Bashir uh, in order to talk about 
uh, the schools and the education side. Remember those, those pension issues that really did it. So it's Jacqueline Coleman's job to come in and talk about the teachers and something she tries to do really well. Uh, something she tries to do uh, well here, trying to execute it. Just listen to what she had to say here. Now, we know this is an election year because this side is dusting off Matt Bevin's old playbook and he is attacking our schools again. And so she continues it on for several minutes talking about the schools under attack, the schools are under attack. You know, obviously, one, I think this is a different playing field. And I and I really think so. And And people can disagree with me with all they want to, but I just don't think the quote unquote teachers thing uh, is as much, it carries as much weight. And I think a large part of it is because during COVID and over these recent times that we've seen school spending skyrocket while teachers at the same time say they're not getting raises, the average citizen, the average voter, and as we've seen uh, schools putting in place policies on these LGBTQ stuff and so on and so forth, a lot of conservatives and moderates are leery of their public schools. They're dissatisfied with their public schools and they've detached teachers from the schools. See, what Republicans are attacking on is the administration. They're attacking on the schools, uh, not getting the job done, not educating people. Uh, and they're not blaming the teachers, though. The GOP is blaming the administration. They're blaming things like the State uh, Board of Education. They are not blaming the teachers and the classrooms themselves. That is something Bevin unfortunately did. And that was that uh, that famous clip where I believe he called them all complainers or what have you. That is what really kind of did him in. He did not separate out teachers from the administration, teachers from schools. And a part of that was because it was the teachers themselves that were mad at him over pensions. But right now, the so-called attacks on teachers are not attacks on teachers. They're attacks on administration. They're attacks on our funding. They're attacks on the way we're doing schooling that is creating this failed result. And I just do not think it's going to resonate the same way. But Jacqueline Coleman coming through trying to really push that. And the next, uh, she pulled out the same joke. She actually said this joke, I believe, three times. So uh, uh, she said this joke three times. Andy said this joke three times. Uh, a variation of this Daniel Cameron having a hard time finding a lieutenant governor joke. Uh, let's take a listen. Just think about that. Seven no's, zero yeses. Sounds like lieutenant governor speed dating with Daniel Cameron. And there you go. There was her joke. One of her, she had two or three, like I said, alluding to the fact that Daniel Cameron had quite the hard time finding a lieutenant governor because he went to, as it's been repeated several times in his speculation, and not that necessarily it's been confirmed officially, but everybody kind of knows that Ryan Quarles turned him down. Um, he may have thought about getting a few other people, then got pushback from his party and ended up on Robbie Mills. And he was a quote unquote, not top on the list. Um, I've heard that Robbie Mills didn't get the call till about a week before the announcement. So uh, he wasn't the only one necessarily uh, shocked per se. He, he was, he, he was a little shocked himself. That's what I've heard as well. So you heard that joke from her. You heard it from Andy three times. She said it three times. I get it. But the fact that that's the best zinger, they really didn't have a lot more jokes for Cameron other than it's hard for him to find a Lieutenant governor candidate. They didn't really have, they had the Mitch McConnell puppet joke in there, I think, but they didn't have a lot, not as much as everybody else had for Andy and Daniel Cameron, of course, had a lot of zingers from Andy. You can listen to our podcast yesterday where I went through their speeches, uh, where it was really big difference. 
But after them came the uh, attorney general candidates. And Russell Coleman started off with, uh, well, his first really good zinger. He had one or two good zingers. Otherwise, he gave a pretty standard, pretty good campaign speech, but he did have a few jokes. Uh, this is one that he said that I thought was particularly uh, important and funny and a good thing to have hit his opponent on. From UK Law School, I spent many hours, a lot of hours, before the tornado took it in what was the Graves County Courthouse, studying for the Kentucky Bar Exam. Well, well, hold on a minute, Representative Stevenson. Let me tell you, the Kentucky Bar Exam is a test you take to practice law here in Kentucky. So that was Russell Coleman coming out and talking about um, how the uh, Kentucky Bar Exam, he has his law license, but his opponent, Pamela Stevenson, does not. I actually did a podcast on this a few weeks ago, talking about how Pamela Stevenson does not even have her license to operate law in Kentucky, which is true. And it's a good thing to point out. And it was rather funny execution where he talked about how he was studying for the Kentucky bar exam uh, in order to do that. Pamela Stevenson uh, is going to try to respond to Russell in her conversation. She's going to try to be a, a little more charismatic. And, and to be honest, while Pamela Stevenson uh, apparently is a minister preacher of some sort at some church, um, that believes, I guess, in abortion uh, because she's a Democrat. So that must mean she does. Um, but anyways, putting that to the side, um, she's going to come out with this really energetic talking point, but you know, and this is something you may miss, uh, in her speeches, but let's start off with how she started out. So you just heard Coleman hitting her on that. Otherwise he had a pretty standard campaign speech. Let's hear how Pamela Stevenson, uh, running against him decides to start off. for hosting us and for letting the little radicals participate. There's a reason why I wanted to point that out. That was what she opened up with. You heard her say, hello, Fancy Farm. Thank you for hosting us and allowing the little radicals to participate. Referencing to the entire GOP. This is a terrible thing for her to say. Understand this, okay? All the other Republicans, other than Daniel Cameron, are winning, running away with their elections. Like they're up double digits, sometimes 20 points, over 20 points on their opponents. And there's a reason why. Because Kentucky is now a Republican state. The majority of people are registered as uh, Republicans. So if you're going to want to win, you can't play these party politics. You can't sit up there and call every single Republican candidate a radical. You have to create your own identity outside of party politics if you're going to win over the moderate Republicans that you need in order to win. But instead, coming out and yelling at everybody, and I know she wasn't yelling, she was speaking with passion, but it definitely came out as her uh, 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 chastising and saying, oh, they're all little radicals over there. I think that was a bad call. Make some jokes. Go for it. Make jokes about your opponent, though. Don't make jokes about Republicans as a whole when you're running in a Republican state for an office where you need Republicans to vote for you. I think her calling them radicals is a giant mistake, and that shows how she views Republicans. Republicans she needs 
to vote for her. But let's see hear what she then says uh, about her opponent. It's so good to be here today because I get to hear my opponent tell jokes. Based on his speeches, I didn't know he knew how to tell a joke. So that was her alluding to Russell Coleman being boring and not knowing how to tell jokes. What I can tell you is that I've heard Russell Coleman speak several times. I've met him in person quite a lot. The guy has a interesting story. Uh, as far as qualifications go, he's a uh, former FBI agent. Um, he was deployed overseas. Uh, obviously, he's got his JD, has actually licensed to practice law in Kentucky, uh, and then has operated as the Western uh, District Prosecutor for Kentucky for the federal government uh, over the last several years. So obviously, he has practiced law, has a lot of experience in law, while at the same time has experience in the law enforcement part. Remember, the attorney general is supposed to be the state's quote-unquote top cop. So him actually having been in law enforcement, had a badge, had a gun, certainly says he understands what goes into uh, that process more than most would. But on his speaking abilities, I don't think he's that boring. I've heard him make a few jokes before. He tries his best to keep them clean. Uh, they're not going to be hilarious knee slappers necessarily. But I, I don't. Her attack there didn't make much sense to me. Having heard Russell Coleman speak a good number of times, her attack on him didn't make much sense to me. But here she now goes ahead and responds to the claims. Uh, well, not the claims. They're true. Responds to the fact that she is not legally licensed to operate law in Kentucky. Now, I know these boys have been trying to make a big ado about my bar status. But I would too if I had to compete against my resume. So she's trying to do a smart move here, which is to say, yes, I may not have my law license in Kentucky, but I'm extremely qualified. Let me tell you. And she actually in this speech went through her qualifications of being a JAG lawyer and a colonel in the Air Force and having done this and that and this and that. The reason why I don't think... Um, I, 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 while she has a fine resume, she still is not licensed to practice law in Kentucky, something that is necessary for attorney general to probably execute their job. But as well, it's not as if Russell Coleman himself also doesn't have an impressive resume. Teeing up and saying, I'm more qualified than he is, is kind of like uh, a doctor of 30 years saying, I'm more qualified than a doctor of 29 years and 11 months. Yeah, I mean, maybe you might be more qualified by like a month, but it's not as if this doctor's this new guy off the street. He's extremely qualified as well. I'd be happy to have either one operate surgery if I'm looking at doctors. So if you want to compare resume between attorney general candidates, quite frankly, they're pretty even. Even if Pamela has a tiny bit on him just because she's older than him, that really doesn't portray into actual, uh, quote unquote, it's not enough experience, that tiny bit more experience that she has because she's older. Once again, Russell Coleman has been a district prosecutor for years and years, Western District, has been in court literally hundreds upon thousands of times handling the type of work that an attorney general would also be handling. Trial court, criminal court has done it. He's been a law enforcement officer. He's been deployed. All these things 
he's not young. You saw him. For those of you who can't see him, he's not very young. He's he's in his 40s or so, if I had to guess. Um, that Does he sound unqualified to you? No, of course not. But she's going to try that because she herself is lacking the, the proper licensing to be qualified to execute the job. She may qualify to run for office, but she's not qualified to actually execute the job on a legal standpoint. If she got involved in cases, there'd be a lot of problems and lawsuits because she herself cannot practice law in Kentucky. Well, coming up after this, we're going to have the auditor candidates talk. And the reason why I want to go over that one, Allison Ball says something that I think it's a crying shame. Everybody else didn't hit uh, Andy on more. And I don't think she really even, she mentioned it, but she needed to hit him on more. Uh, and then also too, as I said, we're going to look at um, the Democrats brought their crazy person every year. They bring a crazy person that doesn't understand uh, Fancy Farm. And this year uh, it was their auditor candidate, Kim Rader. We're going to be going over those talks after this. All right, so uh, then uh, there's a few other down-ticket speeches, but one I want to focus on because both people uh, were interesting uh, was the um, auditor's race. So Allison Ball, current state treasurer, running for auditor, she brought up something that I think uh, a lot of other people should have brought up, but she did bring it up. Let's take a listen. Andy Bashir is more interested in counting license plates numbers than figuring out how many foster kids are sleeping on the floor of office buildings or how many juveniles are suffering in juvenile detention centers. These are serious problems to have. Like when Andy Bashir sent tornado relief funds to the wrong people. First, that was two clips. One was uh, that I kind of were mashed together. So where she was talking about the kids sleeping on floors, juvenile detention centers, that was one clip. And then the second clip there was when she was talking about the Western Kentucky Relief Fund checks. So first on the kids sleeping on floors, juvenile detention centers, that is forefront. That is happening right now. That is topical. Uh, and that is something that a lot of people are upset about. And it speaks to, and, and I've done podcasts on this, Amy Bashir's record when it comes to children is just awful. It's awful. And that really points it out. And I wish I would have seen more people hit him on that. I wish I would see more people hit him on the fact to say, you know what? It's a crime, Shane. Andy Bashir's even down here for Fancy Farm. He should be spending time trying to figure out how to stop these kids that he's got sleeping on offices and kids that are being violently attacked in our juvenile detention centers and how he's solving those problems, things that the legislature is stepping in to have to fix, things that his incompetent people can't handle. They should have hit him on that more across the board, but they didn't. Allison Ball did bring it up. She did bring it up. And then she also brought up that Western Kentucky Relief Fund. They are in Western Kentucky. They are in a place that was ravaged by tornadoes. Where they're at right now was ravaged by those tornadoes. And as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, Amy Bashir sent 200 grand of donated tornado relief funds to the wrong people, at least 200 grand to people who were never damaged by tornadoes in the first place. That is just 200,000 from people who admitted that they got the money and didn't need it. How many people took the money and ran? If you think half of them are honest, that's more like 400,000, half a million dollars. Wouldn't it be hard at all to say half a million dollars sent to the wrong people? That was not brought up by anybody else. Something that impacts that area. Something that points out Andy Bashir doesn't care for you. Andy Bashir standing on this whole, I super helped you out with this tornadoes thing. Look at me, look at me. Pointing that out, pointing out that he uses them as political pawns 
would have been a great opportunity to do that while in Western Kentucky, while across from him. But nobody else did it. Allison Ball brought it up. I think everybody else should have brought it up. It's crying shame nobody else did. Now, moving on from that. Every year, the Democrats bring somebody <laughs> who just doesn't get fancy farm, <laughs> doesn't understand it. You feel like they're yelling at you. They're really mad at the crowd. They're mad at you. They're mad at Kentucky. They're just unhappy to be there. They never tell a joke. They have no jokes to tell. Instead, it's quite the opposite. Instead of giving a, a even okay campaign speech without jokes, they instead give you a speech where they feel like they're yelling at you. Last year, it was Jimmy Osbrook that was running against or Osbrooks, I don't know, whatever, Jimmy Osbrook or Brooks. He's running against Cover. I, I, I grabbed some excerpts from his speech last year. Uh, let me play that for you real quick so you can understand what I mean about the Democrats bringing just a crazy person that absolutely does not understand Fancy Farm at all. This year that Osbrooks is giving the speech was the year that Rand Paul's wife um, gave a speech where she really went after uh, some of the crazy LGBTQ issues that were going on and are still going on, things like uh, women competing on on sports, so on and so forth. And she did a really good speech on that. And this is uh, him responding to that. I want to make sure I frame that in there. And I am glad that Miss Paul left because that was an insult to me and to many of my friends. So you can sit here and you can laugh at me. You can make jokes at me. I don't care. And I need to have my protections. I live in a community where I cannot be who I want to be if I'm openly gay. Housing is denied. Employment is denied. You may not care about Kentucky. You may not care about me, but I care about you. So there was uh, the crazy Democrat from last year, clearly uh, upset at the crowd. I remember watching that speech and being like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, this is supposed to be a fun-filled exempt. We're making fun of each other a little bit. We're giving speeches, campaign speeches, in jest, in good time. But here this guy is literally yelling at the crowd, telling them, you may not like me. You don't love me. I can't live my life. You all are offensive. Just really going off on the crowd there. And this year, the Democrats delivered. They delivered their person who really didn't understand it. Here is Kim Reader running for auditor against Allison Ball. For those who listen to the audio format, you're not going to see the body language. She has got some real crazy eyes going. I don't think it helped the fact that she probably got something in her eye before, and one of her eyes is like blood red. You're going to see this. But she has an intensity and crazy eyes that makes you feel like, like she's going to rip your heart out and eat it in front of you. So for those of you listening to audio only, you're not going to get that. But for those of you watching the video, uh, pay attention to that because you're going to see that uh, here in a bit. Here's, here's some of her outtakes. I promise you I didn't misrepresent her speech at all. This is exactly sticking 
to to what it was. I don't know what upset her beforehand. She was clearly something was under her skin. She was just really, really mad. And uh, I'm going to play that for you, like I said. And like I said, I'm not mischaracterizing this. Just take take a listen. I went on to earn degrees at Yale, Duke, and the University of North Carolina Law School. And I wasn't done then. I've spent 20 years building a successful tax practice. I was named one of the top tax attorneys in the country. I've raised my hand to run for auditor. Because my educational and professional credentials make me exceptionally qualified for this job. I am not just a career politician trying to get another political job. I'm a professional who wants to use my skills, my intellect, and my decades of experience to work for Kentucky. We have a 1993 RV, it doesn't have air conditioning, but we're getting around to all 120 counties to talk with Kentuckians and meet them where they are. Please, Kim, if you're listening to this, don't meet me where I am, okay? Don't do it. You frighten me. You are scary to me. That was, I mean, it, it was like, I felt like I was being scolded by my mother. Not just scolded, but it's like, it's like that. You know what it reminded me of? This video has been going around where this woman's just losing it uh, because she's hungry. Let me play that for you real quick. It worked again! It worked! Oh my God, it's wasted! What are you doing today? I ate nothing! Nothing! So, um... <laughs> Like, at least she had a good reason to be so upset. She had worked 10 hours and hadn't gotten to eat. But Kim Rader, on the other hand, I, I maybe it was the AC that was really, really bothering her. Okay. And you know what? For 500 bucks, she could get that AC fixed up. No problem. No problem at all. I don't care what's wrong with her 93 camper. You can get that fixed up. Even if the parts you think cost more than that, let me tell you what, you put an inverter on that, throw an AC window unit in there, you'll be good to go. You could get that thing fixed janky style for 500 bucks. But if that means you stop yelling at all of us, <laughs> then I, it's like she was mad at us. She went to Yale, like in, in Duke. Like, I'm sorry you went to yell in Duke. Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do it. It's just, it, it's like fancy farm. You're supposed to make jokes. She didn't make a single joke. All she did was yell at everybody the whole time. And every year there's a Democrat and all they do is yell at everybody because they don't understand it. And it literally is, I, I, I don't know. I just, I wonder who it's going to be next year. I mean, who are they even going to get to talk next year? If Bashir loses... <laughs> You won't have a single statewide elected Democrat. So in order for it to be a bipartisan, what, they're going to have to bring in the chairman, I guess? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Obviously, they can also have a, a Democrat congressperson speak and Democrat House rep, if there's one, running against uh, uh, Heath or whomever has that seat that's running on the Republican side. But I just, are we going to miss out on the crazy person now?
I don't know. That'd be a shame. It'd be the only thing I'd miss for Democrats not being able to, to put together anybody to go to Fancy Farm because nobody's elected, that we miss a crazy person. Where are we going to find it from? Anyways, well, guys, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Thank you all so, so much for uh, checking us out, business. Remember, like, comment, share, subscribe. Have a great rest of your day.